Hello once again, my faithful listeners, and welcome to you who have found this podcast for the first time. I'm Pam Christian, the host for this podcast known as Faith to Live By, where each week we consider current events from a biblical and prophetic perspective, so we as God's children know how He wants us to respond. Headline news this week, and for a time to come, is about the tragic earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. At the time of first creating this podcast, I learned Turkey's first earthquake was a 7.8, and the second was a 7.6 magnitude. As of today, February 10th of 2023, over 22,000 are dead, and it's estimated that 77,711 are injured. A total of 24 million people are impacted, and sadly, the death and injury numbers are expected to continue to rise. Likewise, the number of aftershocks continue to rise, with more than 100 registering a magnitude 4 and greater since the deadly 7.8 earthquake. Seismologists report the region could suffer aftershocks for months and even years to come. Before these dreadful earthquakes, we've been hearing about high numbers of people suddenly dying, with growing suspicions attributing the cause to the gene and immune-impairing so-called vaccine that was mandated worldwide. You probably know about the 2022 documentary titled Died Suddenly, produced by Stu Peters. It's had well over 20 million views. Even so, many platforms have taken the film down with claims it spreads disinformation about the so-called vaccine. Mainstream media is posting articles daily in effort to discredit the documentary. But truth is getting out, and I managed to find a link using DuckDuckGo where the movie can still be seen, and I've provided a link for you in the show notes. I've also provided a link to separate articles about the mandated jab as the cause of these sudden deaths. I also have links to many doctors and clinics where those who with adverse reactions to the jab can get help, so be sure to view this if you or someone you know is suffering. These and other headlines have heightened awareness of our mortality. Each of us will eventually die, though none of us know the date or time. This gives all the more reason that our real concern should be where we spend our eternal life. Because of all of this, and since February is Heart Disease Awareness Month, I decided to share my testimony of experiencing a sudden cardiac arrest, actually dying, and what I experienced before I was revived. My story has been broadcast on Focus on the Family several times and on other programs, and I presented it in person at UCI's first annual day of women's health as their keynote speaker. Here's my dramatic and, believe it or not, even humorous story of miraculously surviving sudden cardiac arrest that I gave before an audience at Mount Hermon's Conference Center in California. On September 16, 2002, I started to play tennis with some girlfriends. For the first time, I hadn't played tennis with these ladies before, you know. And I arrived feeling... A little bit nervous. Well, a lot nervous, okay? Because I really wanted to do well. I wanted them to invite me back to play with them again. It was important to me that I could establish a new group of women to play tennis with. Now, I also arrived feeling what seemed to be some slight indigestion. But I just chalked it up to the idea that, you know, I'd been eating a lot of cantaloupe, trying to get those last of the summer fruits in, you know? I just uh, didn't feel quite right, but I, it wasn't too big. It was just minor. So my friend Terry introduced me to Jill and to Debbie, two ladies I'd never met before, and I joined them on the court to warm up. And the first ball that I hit went over the fence. Not the net, the fence. (laughs) The second ball I hit went into the net. The third ball that I hit 
Went over to Jill, who was warming up with Terry. I was supposed to be warming up with Debbie. <laughs> I was mortified. And I realized how dreadful this was for me in terms of my tennis reputation. I figured right away they would probably never again ask me to play tennis with them. And at the same time I'm thinking all these thoughts, I realized I'm feeling rather short of breath and a little lightheaded and too much for the amount of exertion that I had already given. So I announced that I really couldn't play tennis, which was probably obvious at that time. <laughs> and I went over to sit down to calm myself down. I figured I had just gotten myself terribly emotionally worked up wanting to do a good job. So anyway, I sat down, but I really wasn't getting any better. So I gathered my things and I announced that I was going to go home, and Terry followed me out toward my car, which I resisted because I thought, gosh, I'd already interrupted the game enough. Please at least play a threesome. Don't let me interrupt any further. But Terry continued following me out to the car, and I knew that actually they would be better off if I left anyway, considering how I'd been playing. So Terry then began to offer to drive me to my doctors. And I was resisting, knowing I have brand new insurance. I don't even have a primary care physician lined up yet. I wasn't really sure what to do. And so I thought that I would just drive myself home and read up on what I needed to do, make the phone call, and take myself to the doctor. But before I could actually get all the way into my car, around toward the front of my car at the curb where it was parked, I threw up. Right there in public. I threw up. Well, at this time, Terry offered to call 9-11, and I resisted instead, saying, you know, don't, don't do that. And so she then said, let me at least drive you to the hospital. And I thought, well, perhaps that makes sense at this point in time. And then I went over to her beautiful red sporty car <laughs> that was so immaculate inside, opened the door and started to get in. Realizing I would feel a little bit confined in it, I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I do not want to make a mess of her beautiful red little cart. My nausea was getting worse, and uh, so was my shortness of breath and my dizziness. So was my perspiration. I was rather hot and sweaty. So I walked back over to my car where it was parked because it was in the shade, and all I wanted to do was to lay down on the sidewalk that was still damp. It was early morning. I just wanted to lie down on that cold sidewalk in the shade. And at this time, Terry called 911. Well, by now, Jill and Debbie had come out from the courts, and I could hear them saying that someone needed to call my husband. And I could hear also that they were rummaging around through my purse looking for my cell phone. And so I laid there thinking, swell. Now I don't only admit that I'm tennis impaired, I'm also technology impaired because I have no phone numbers programmed into my cell phone. <laughs> so between breaths, and I was very short of breath, one digit at a time I gave them my husband's phone number. They called my husband, and of course 9-11 had already been dispatched, and we could hear sirens off in the distance. Terry stayed on the phone with the dispatcher, following his instructions to care for me until they arrived. And Jill and Debbie were praying for me. Gratefully, I was with three Christian sisters who knew what to do first and foremost, and that was to pray. And it was Jill's prayer that took on the form of a song. And Jill was singing, What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> the stress of the moment was causing her to forget the rest of the song. 
So she kept singing. What a friend we have in Jesus. Now normally I would jump in, you know I like to sing. And I would help her finish the song, but I had a refrain of my own going, and it was, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, because things were intensifying with my condition. Well, the firefighters and the paramedic arrived on the scene six minutes and 21 seconds after the call was made to 9-11. Immediately, there was a rush of men in dark blue uniforms scurrying all about. One man, Jeff Peterson, the paramedic, approached me from my left side, taking my arm and strapping it to something, I don't know what, and he immediately began asking me all sorts of questions to get an understanding of my level of consciousness and things like that. He asked me what was the date, what was the day of week, what is your name, what is your age, what is your weight. That is the only time I ever admitted my weight in public. (laughs) Well, I heard him confirm on the phone that he needed to administer 50 cc's of lidocaine, and at this time my other arm was strapped to something likely it was the EKG. And I heard them state that they would need to administer an additional 50 cc's of lidocaine, and I've learned later that this is to try to get my heart regulated. And from the moment that they arrived on the scene, they began administering advanced life support. That's how serious of a condition they found me in. Captain Glenn Seekins and Jeff Peterson were two Caucasian men who were there at the scene. They were to my left, and Greg Brinkley and Mark Moore, happened to be two African-American men, were to my right, all of them working on me. And I think it was Greg who was calling out what he saw taking place on the EKG. Uh, And I'm told that my condition was changing so fast, so rapidly, that Captain Glenn Seekins could barely write it down. Now, for those who are medically oriented, what they witnessed was a sudden cardiac arrest that originated in the upper chamber of my heart. The particular documentation progression showed a sinus ventricular tachycardia that went into a ventricular tachycardia that went into a ventricular fibrillation. For the rest of us who don't know what in the world that means... (laughs) It means that the upper and the lower chambers of my heart were working very erratically, beating out of sync. It wasn't normal. (laughs) And the paramedics witnessed my heart beating around 300 beats per minute. For someone my size, the maximum exertion, if I was playing tennis on a good day, (laughs) would be about 180 beats per minute. Now, I've since learned that a study in New York City of 5% of the witnessed ventricular fibrillation victims, that only 1% to 2% of cardiac arrest victims, survive. The fact that my new friends called 911 and immediately began prayer allowed the emergency professionals to arrive on the scene and to witness the cardiac arrest and to be in place to save my life. That's why I'm able to stand here and testify to you about the goodness of God and the truth about life after death. You see, a sudden cardiac arrest is very different than a heart attack. A heart attack is where the heart convulses because the vessels that supply blood or oxygen to the heart are blocked. A heart attack can go into a cardiac arrest, but a sudden cardiac arrest is where the heart abruptly stops 
And I've since learned that estimates range from 250,000 to 400,000 people suffer sudden cardiac arrest each year and that it's the leading cause of death in North America. But with the advent of newer medications and the accessibility to defibrillators, you know, the zappers, <laughs> lives have been saved. And so the term has been changed to sudden cardiac arrest. Well, I was still answering Jeff's questions when he asked me, are you feeling kind of funny? <laughs> I thought, what kind of a question is that to ask at a time like this? Aren't you the paramedic? Well, I didn't know it, but what he was observing on the EKG was that my heart had stopped, but I was still answering his questions. And I think that's a riot. I'm a public speaker, for goodness sakes. But as immediately as I had the thought, uh, well, what kind of a question is that, I was gone. That's when I died. And I'm told that this is the time that my body went into convulsions and flopped on the sidewalk a lot like a fish out of water and turned tomato red for lack of oxygen. Now, a crowd of onlookers had gathered, and the guys were really scurrying about now, I'm told, because they had to get the zip scissors so that they could cut right down through my clothing and get access to my chest. Mm. A woman after my own heart. Now, I may have been the one to suffer the sudden cardiac arrest, but my friends Terry, Jill, and Debbie were the ones who were truly traumatized as they witnessed all of this. Because, you see, I was no longer in my body. I went to a whole new dimension, which was incredibly peaceful. It was dark where I was, but not a frightening dark. It wasn't a black dark. It was more of a, oh, charcoal gray or a warm brown dark. <laughs> Maybe something of what it would be like to be in a mother's womb. I did see a thin horizontal white light off in the distance, but it did not beckon me. And that's fine, because I was perfectly content right where I was. It was an incredibly peaceful place. I loved where I was, and I sensed that I was in the very center of the sovereignty of God. Nothing else mattered. Nothing. I just knew I was in the center of God's care. Now, Debbie told me that she was so sensitive to the fact that they had to cut my top off, and so it became a very personal and private-type matter for me, that she turned her back to me but kept praying. And I thought that was really sweet. You know, can't you just imagine her doing that? So as her back was turned and she's hearing them still work on me, she hears somebody yell out, Claire, because they're getting ready to get the defibrillators out. And then she heard the defibrillators activating, which gave off 200 joules of power. The next thing that Debbie heard was someone yell, Bag her. And she's thinking, You can't do that. You can't give up on her now. You've hardly worked on her. You can't possibly bag her now. And she turns around and she looks and she sees an oxygen bag on my face. You know she was thinking body bag. And she admits to watching too many of those ER type programs. Well, my heart began beating again. It responded to the very first treatment of defibrillation. And I could hear my name being called. And I was so agitated that anyone would disturb me. 
I liked where I was. I did not want to be bothered. I was experiencing the sovereignty of God. I experienced the fact that he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. I knew I had a husband and children, but they were also in God's care. They would be fine. I knew that they'd grieve if I weren't with them, but, you know, I didn't want to be bothered with even thinking about all these things because I could experience the sovereignty and the care and the love of God right where I was. But Greg Brinkley kept calling my name. (laughs) Pam, Pam, are you with us? Pam, Pam, come back. Pam, and I opened my eyes, and the first thing I saw was the face of a black man knelt over me, and beyond that I saw the sky and the clouds, and I thought, Jesus is black. My vision cleared, and I realized and gathered senses as to where I was. Now, we know that we are made in God's image, so Jesus has every color, but I finally realized where I was and what had happened, and, and that these were actually the men that God used to save my life. Now, about this time, I also sensed that my chest was bare. And realizing exactly where I am and that a lot of people had gathered, I asked, am I naked? Am I naked? And Greg bends down, he says, Pam, if that's the worst we have to worry about, it's been a good day. don't understand. (laughs) And I still didn't have confirmation, so I said, am I naked? (laughs) Well, they hurried and found something to cover me up because the last thing they want is for a cardiac patient to get upset. (laughs) And then the ride to the hospital and the ambulance is what followed. And the doctors were, and they are, amazed to this day, that I suffered what I did because my weight is not a concern. Thank you very much. (laughs) I don't smoke. There's no immediate history of heart disease in my family. They found no cholesterol or electrical problems with my heart. I was in the hospital for eight days. They have no idea what specifically triggered this to happen. Tennis. Tennis. We'll talk later. So as a precautionary measure, they fitted me with an AICD. That's an automatic cardiovascular implantable device. And what it is is a combination defibrillator and pacemaker, so that if my heart should beat erratically again, the defibrillator will go off. If it should beat too slow, the pacemaker will set in. And a friend of mine, who is a famous person, I won't name him, but he cracked me up. One day he said, you know, if you ever see Pam, raise her arms and do this. (laughs) It's probably because the defibrillator has gone off. Lord. (laughs) Well, when I was in the hospital and reflecting on everything, when it was still fresh, 
I flashed on a thought, a thought just kind of coursed through my mind that said, I have no regrets. And as soon as that thought registered, I thought, Pam, how arrogant of you. How in the world could you think something like that? And almost as soon as I had that thought, the Holy Spirit comforted me, allowing me to understand that I have no regrets, not because of how I live my life, but because of how Christ lived his, and my faith has been in Christ. I have no regrets because Christ's sinless life was laid down for me and for you if you're willing to believe and receive. I have no regrets because there was a day that I resolutely and deliberately chose to place my faith in Jesus Christ. And God, in his mercy and in his love, forgave me of all of my sin that very moment I placed my faith in Christ and restored me unto himself. What about you? Not one of us know the moment or the day our life will be taken from us. Have you already entered into covenant communion with God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you deliberately and resolutely placed your faith in Jesus? And if you haven't, why haven't you? Why haven't you? Are you thinking like so many people do that you have plenty of time? Do you? You don't know any more than anyone else knows when your life will come to an end. And it could be taken as suddenly as life walking across a sidewalk. And this truth that our life could be taken from us that fast need not be something that we fear. Because faith in Christ is what gives us assurance that we will enter covenant communion with God in heaven forever. My faith in Christ that was developed through all the trials and the sufferings that was developed before my cardiac arrest allowed me to look forward to life hereafter, believing that it would be better. But for having experienced what I did with the cardiac arrest, I now know and can testify that life definitely will be better after this. Far better than we can possibly hope or dream. Much more incredibly peaceful and loving than we could imagine. I am now experientially convinced in the truth of the Apostle Paul's statement that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now when I got out of the hospital... I had to find out who these men were that saved my life. And when I visited them for the first time, there was a bond that we shared. I mean, we kind of stood around kind of goofy, just staring at each other. (laughs) And Jeff, the paramedic, was very interested in wanting to figure out, you know, what did the doctor say? What was the diagnosis, you know, from his medical perspective? And he said, I thought you had maybe suffered, and he rattled off some medical term. And then he said, but I realize you're too old for that. that one slip. (laughs) So we continued to visit, and then Jeff, he said, you know, Pam, I am really sorry, but I'm the one who had to cut your top off, and you really didn't like that. I said, no, I didn't. And then stepping in, being very captainly, Captain Glenn Seekin says, Pam, I just want to reassure you, we're professionals, and under the circumstances, it really wasn't all that memorable. (laughs) 
I turned to my lady friend who drove me there and I said, swell, first they tell me I'm too old, now they tell me I'm not all that memorable. (laughs) When it came time to leave, Captain Seekins looked at me and he said, Pam, your coming to see us has just made our day. I mean, they don't have that many people that are able to come back and say thank you. (laughs) But I looked at him and I said, Glenn, don't you understand? that your coming to see me made the rest of my life? God used these wonderful men and the prayers of my sisters to allow this wife and mother of two to live longer on this earth. Now naturally, naturally I take cookies or something else, anything I can think of once a month over to the fire station. Every month I do it for a holiday, you know. I couldn't think of anything for August. Dog days of August? And in September, they came over along with Jill, Debbie, and Terry and their husbands for a barbecue to celebrate my one-year anniversary of the survival of my cardiac arrest. To celebrate life, really. And you know, it only makes sense that I would be devoted to these people. I mean, God used them to save my life. God used them to save my physical life here on this earth. And when you think of just that, then doesn't it make even more sense that we would be devoted to the one who has saved our eternal life? Christ died for us. The very least we can do is live for him. Now, many people, including the attending physician, Dr. Campbell, have said, you know, Pam, I think God was trying to tell you to slow down. But considering the fact that the doctors found no reason that I suffered what I did, that I have no cholesterol problems, I have no electrical problems. There's no reason that they've given me, well, actually, they did prescribe medications, but it was strictly precautionary, so I am not restricted. I take no medications whatsoever. Considering all of that, I can't agree with that line of thought. I don't believe that God was telling me to slow down at all. No, I don't believe I'm to slow down because I know now better than most just how preciously and precariously vulnerable our lives are. No, I've come to understand yet another statement that the Apostle Paul made, and that is, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. God did not want me to slow down. God wanted me to become more intense. For your sakes. Please understand me on this. You can be assured of your covenant communion in Christ. You can have a hope that is certain. You can know that you will spend eternity with God, with conviction. And it's as simple as you being willing to believe in and receive Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whose life was given up as a substitute, sacrifice, to satisfy the debt of your sin and mine. You can enter into blessed covenant communion if you are willing to do so. You see, it was by an act of the will that sin entered all of humanity. And so it requires an act of the will that the individual can be released and forgiven of sin, redeemed. First, having heard this, you might be inclined, as others have been, to correct me for saying 9-11 instead of 9-1-1 a couple of times. 
But this is a recorded message, so I can't change it. But believe me, after being corrected more than once, I know to say 911. Secondly, you may be inclined to wonder, as my children did, if I suffered any brain damage as a result of being dead for just over a minute or so. Well, let me say to you the same thing I said to my children. I assure you, I have no drain damage. It's such a serious story, we need the comedic relief. And then third, this recording was made several years ago, so that some of the statistics I shared may be outdated. But the fact remains, we will all die at some point in time. None of us knows when that time or that minute is. And with my testimony and personal experience of the fact there is life after death, I urge you to make certain you intentionally decide where you want to spend eternity. We are all born into this world in a sinful state. We've inherited our sinful nature from the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, who rebelled against God. Every person born ever since has been born as sinners, eternally separated from God. Unless we intentionally decide to place our faith in Jesus, who is the only one who can redeem us from our natural sin-born state, by default, we remain in sin, destined for hell. I titled this podcast, From My Heart to Yours. We will all die, and it may come without any warning. I truly want you to have determined in advance where you will spend eternity. If you have not placed your faith in Christ, won't you consider doing so now? There's no reason you can't pray and decree and declare your faith in Jesus right now, wherever you are. If you are genuinely willing to believe in Jesus as Savior for all eternity and receive Him as Lord of your life beginning here and now, I ask you to repeat these words after me from your heart. God, I believe Jesus was and is God the Son who came to earth to take my sins upon himself and pay the debt of sin I cannot, so that I can be in right relationship with you through faith in him. I choose to repent and turn from my own ways and become a child of yours and part of your kingdom, no longer part of the kingdom of evil. I willingly confess Jesus as my personal Savior and willingly receive him to be Lord of my life now and forever. Amen. If you genuinely prayed that prayer from your heart, you are instantly transformed from your natural sin-born state to a supernaturally born-again state where your spirit has been made completely new. And more, the Holy Spirit of God has now come to live inside you, to guide you into all truth from this moment forward, and you have the assurance of spending eternity in heaven. You are guaranteed this and much more by God's own promises. Next, you'll need to learn how to live your newfound faith and step into the most exciting life journey you could ever have. If you know some devoted Christians who live near you, contact them and let them know you just gave yourself to Jesus. Ask them to help you in your new life. You can also seek to find a Bible study or home church near you. To help you in your next steps, Frank Cotaspati, who I interviewed last week about my online apologetics course, has made his PDF specific for new believers available. So if you or someone you know is new to the Christian faith, use the link in the show notes to get this helpful resource. And I invite you to learn more about my apologetic certificate course by visiting the website you'll find in the show notes. Until you can find a local church or a group of believers near you, you can get connected by texting the words NEW LIFE to 1-714-500-7558. This will also give you access to an online discipleship class, and it will connect you for prayer. You can also email info at churchofgrace.com and put NEW LIFE in the subject line and in the email, let them know you're a new believer and a listener to my podcast, Faith to Live By. And I'd be honored if you would send me an email letting me know you gave your life to Christ, which would truly bless my heart to know my ministry has helped you. 
Next week, we'll tackle current events from a biblical and prophetic perspective. I'm working on getting a special guest right now, but I don't have the confirmation, so you'll just have to wait and see who it might be. Until then, I ask you to please help others learn about my podcast so they can be encouraged too. Telling others about this podcast is a show of support that I greatly appreciate. You can also be supportive by purchasing goods and services from me and my affiliates. When you purchase my books or products and services or products and services from any of my affiliates, you get something you want and at the same time you support me. It's truly a benefit for all of us. So shop for yourself or shop to get gifts for friends and family. Your support is greatly appreciated. I ask you to use my affiliate page to listen to the interviews I've conducted with the vetting process. Of course, you need to do your own due diligence to make your own decisions what to purchase. But to help you, I am researching companies, interviewing their representatives, and providing you with a journal of my own personal experience using their products and services. There's a link to the interviews in the show notes. When it comes to your health, I want you to know about Mfinity, a company dedicated to helping us detoxify our bodies and get to an optimum and healthy weight. Also for your health, I've been proudly promoting Dr. Zelenko's Z-Stack supplements. And then there's my affiliation with Operation Tomahawk, which is an excellent program that I'm using to get household and healthcare products from an American-owned and operated company that are not made with genetically modified ingredients or with toxins. Another affiliate I proudly promote is Dr. Kirk Elliott. He's a private advisor helping people protect their assets, especially in these days when the stock market and the valuation of the dollar is a concern. I sincerely hope you appreciate my dedication to you through these podcasts. Let me know how this podcast has impacted you and what you're now doing in response to the equipping you've received through me. My email is faithtoliveby at pamelachristianministries.com. To receive even more, please be sure to check out my dedicated podcast listeners page called Beyond the Podcast. Here's where we can connect exclusively and you can download complimentary devotionals, resources, and more. You can also subscribe to my complimentary bi-monthly e-newsletter. As a new subscriber, you can choose one of three gifts I offer in appreciation for your subscription. Depending upon where you listen to my podcast, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever these features are available. Your review helps the show reach more people, spread the gospel, and helps people learn how to best apply their Christian faith. I hope you'll join me next week and tell your friends and family to listen right here on Faith to Live By where we learn how to gain spiritual victory over life's issues. Until next week, I'm Pam Christian, asking you to remember, Christ died for us. The least we can do is live for Him. 